0: Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So, the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July. This is for our Warnable and Great South Coast take on board friends. An event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout-out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza, and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom, and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. A quick announcement for those of you who are in Adelaide. Come join us for a Take On Board meetup. It will be on Friday the 15th of October. Yes, that's probably today or tomorrow or maybe two days away depending on when you're listening to this episode. Just come and join us. There's always fabulous conversation, connections and ideas that are shared at these things. So I would love it if you could join us there. Details in the show notes or get in touch to find out more. Look forward to seeing you there. Now, on with the show. (sighs) Hello, and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halja Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable, and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging, and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks, and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio will also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together, we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Chris Parker about the free service that the Ethics Centre runs called Ethicall. I saw something about it recently on social media and reached out as I thought this is a fabulous service for board members and I wanted to know more. So here we are. First, let me tell you about Chris. Chris has worked at the Ethics Centre for 10 years and heads up two of their initiatives, the Ethics Alliance and the Banking and Finance Oath. She is also an ethics counsellor for their free ethics counselling service, Ethic Call. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Chris. Thanks so much, Helia. Thank you for having me. Oh, look, like I said in the intro, when I saw this service, I just thought, what an amazingly valuable service. And I posted about it in the Facebook group and know that there were some people there that have actually used the service as well. So I cannot wait to find out more. However, before we find out more, as always, I would like to dig a little bit deeper about you. Um, Can you tell me a story about young Chris that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today?
1: Ah, yes. Okay. So young Chris is someone who liked to challenge and buck the system, getting expelled from high school, curious, always quite into sort of social justice or fairness anyway, A bit too much, my mother would say. And I love to learn. So it's a combination of that that makes me go through. Um, I was a performer. I had a theatre company in Manhattan for 10 years. Well, not a company, but in Manhattan for 10 years, a film company in Australia. I have a psychology degree. I ended up at the Ethics Centre ten years ago, working on the ethics of asylum seeking, and I have stayed ever since. And I have a really strong passion for for ethics and and helping people make better decisions.
0: Oh my God! There is already so much to dig into there. What a marvelously diverse background that is—just fabulous. You said in there uh, that. Your interest in social justice came from an early age and uh, I think you said something like maybe a bit too much according to your mother, but
1: where did that come from? I really don't know. I think I was privileged to grow up in in a fairly affluent environment and I just saw inequality in places and it just... It just didn't feel right to me, I suppose, at the time. Not that there was anything wrong with that. There's no judgment to be made whatsoever, but it was just a lack of fairness that I was seeing. And I think it may have been because I came from an immigrant family. My parents worked very hard as professionals to provide that life for me. So it wasn't easy, perhaps. Then mm-hmm. that's,
0: you know, maybe where it came from. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Tell me about Ethical. Like I say, I saw something on social media. Tell me, what is the service and
1: how my board members use the service? Well, the service is amazing. It's been around for 30 years, actually. And we've just recently had to, not revamp it, I suppose, but get some more counsellors on board uh, because demand was increasing. And actually, that was before covid So it was very opportune that we went through this process because the demand now is very, very high. And I think that is is because we've gone into a state for such a long period of uncertainty and it does create a a fatigue in decision-making. So, you know, you're making decisions about whether you can take your children to see your parents, things that you've never had to think about before. So I think that's partially that fatigue is, is weighing heavy, but also, I think the issue is that you know you might have gone out with with a group of friends, you know, once a month and just <laughs> let it all out and, and soundboarded uh, you know some issues that you were having, and, and that's gone through lockdown as well. So I don't I don't think there's as much of an outlet for people to discuss those dilemmas that they have. So ethic hall itself is an absolute privilege for me as a counsellor, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's a service where we're trained counsellors and we use a series of questions that provide a support and guidance, I suppose, for individuals that are stuck in Mm. in a situation. And the most important part of it is there's absolutely no judgement. We're not Mm. there to moralise. We're not there to tell you what is right and what is wrong. That is completely stripped away. And I suppose part of our job through this Socratic method of questioning is to try and just put some of the the heat on the side, just put the emotion a little on the side so that there's more clarity around Mm. the actual facts that that you're dealing with. And so, you know, you've you've got an hour to do it, it's free. You have an opportunity to listen to these people that are genuinely stuck. And, And the thing is that we can't underestimate the suffering. And I know that's a big word, but when you're in a true ethical dilemma and you're stuck and it's binary and you think you've only got you know this or this that you can do you do stay awake at night you do yeah. feel sick in the stomach it does impact your relationships at home it does impact the way you work it impacts your decision making in other areas so we can't underestimate that i don't think and and so when you go through this process you know you don't always get to a decision at the end but what you do get is the sense of relief almost mm. from people that you're speaking to and a clarity so that they feel like, okay, I've got choices. Now I understand the values that are clashing and creating this tension. Now I can start to prioritise what's important to me. Yeah. So that's pretty special. What are
0: the sorts of challenges or dilemmas that you
1: hear from board members? Well, I have to stop right there and just say professional. So this is this is a private conversation. Yes. This is not something that I can attribute to any particular person. Yes. Uh, that's a really important part of this mm-hmm. process. I mean, we do have supervision once a month where we can talk about some issues we may have had, but again, we never attribute it to someone. It's more just to improve our service. So there are people that contact the service for professional reasons. To be honest, a majority of them are personal reasons, but that's not to say a board member doesn't have a personal issue. Yes, And I think the interesting thing about the ethical process is that it is a real insight into decision-making and what needs to be undertaken in that course to yeah. provide really reflective, considered, decisions and understanding your own defaults and whatnot in that way. So, you know, professional questions can be anything, particularly around vaccinations, around reputation and the competing duties and obligations that one has. Just recently, uh, I looked at this case study where Accenture hired by Facebook to monitor the noxious online activity that happens that Mm. AI can't pick up and Mm. you know this was a half a billion dollar client for Accenture and the new CEO walked in and said well what's the risk aspect here because employees were suffering because of the work that they were doing emotionally you know you know depression anxiety insomnia you know really terrible suffering so what are the trade offs around this sort of diamond client that pays you half a billion dollars a year and the impact it's having on your employees and what does that look like that's just an example that's in the the, the public sphere but it's those kind of trade-offs I think that board members particularly have to navigate now As a board member, your responsibility, of course, is for the organisation and you've got organisational purpose, values and principles. But as an individual in that place, you do have blind spots because of your own personal values. So undertaking something like a process like ethical, even from a personal perspective, allows you to unearth those blind spots and where they may be and how you maybe potentially bring those to, to the boardroom.
0: Yes. I was going to ask about that as well because, you know, boards are made up of individuals. So we all have our own individual kind of frame on things, but it is also collective decision-making as well. Uh, Not that everybody has to agree. It doesn't need to be consensus decision-making, but it is collective decision-making that we are all bound by in the end. So if the board makes a decision that wasn't my personal decision, I am
1: still bound by that. Yeah, no, I suppose one of the the interesting things are as a a board member or as a part of any community decision making body whatever that is is what do you do if your personal values and principles don't align with those of the organization and if you're pulled one way or the other and how do you how do you make that decision that would be difficult I would imagine
0: So, you know, I would love to hear what the process or the framework is that you take people through. And if it's helpful, I'm wondering whether you'd mentioned earlier about vaccinations. And I know that it is something that lots of boards are wrestling with at the moment. Do we mandate vaccinations within our organisation or even just how do we approach vaccinations? vaccinations it's become a bit of a political hot potato in some circles you know whether it should or shouldn't be maybe that's part of it i don't know but if it's helpful whether we use that as a frame for what the process and framework would be
1: for approaching it i'm really happy to go through the process i'm not sure that using vaccinations as a case study let's say to go through that process is is effective because i think there's no one decision that's going to fit all organisations and your decisions yeah. depend on, on the organisation's purpose, values and principles. And I think yeah. we've seen Alan Joyce come out with Qantas in that situation where he could make a mandating decision because it did align so strongly with the organisation's value of safety. So for Alan Joyce, to me, or my personal opinion, a very sensible and mm. valid line to draw but that may be different for different organisations. So I don't feel comfortable using that as a, as a one-all, but it's, you know, going through the process will allow your listeners to go, okay, well, let's think of my own organization's yeah. values and principles and purpose, and how does that align potentially? Because there is a parallel between dealing with an individual ethical dilemma and a board dealing with an ethical dilemma, yet there is a similarity in the process but then a recognition of the collective culture and character of a board is a, is another layer mm. so the process itself is when you when you know when i when i have a caller it's very much about okay tell me the situation and this is i suppose when you think of a board these are the papers this is your board papers they've come up here is the situation and i think then as a, as a counsellor, I would clarify facts and challenge assumptions. And I think that that can be paralleled very much to that idea of what is beyond the scope of the board papers, mm-hmm. you know, as well. And that's an important aspect. Then the next part of the call is very much around, well, who else is involved in this decision that you need to make? Who's going to be impacted by this decision? again, from a board's perspective, an opportunity to look at all of the stakeholders involved and not just the immediate ones. But if we look at something like human rights and modern slavery, we're looking at, you know, stakeholders down a supply chain and that's done quite extensively. And we do that in in our model as well. Who's going to be impacted by your decision? And we push that boundary to do that. And that then allows an understanding of consequences And an understanding and and opens doors to process what would it look like if, have we thought about that stakeholder, have we thought about that stakeholder. So in a sense, that's a really good way too. And then the next stage, for you know, as a counsellor would then be looking at, uh, actually, this is a good stage. It's a small but vital stage of just making sure everyone's on the same page with your caller and, and be able to speak back to them and say, have I got this right? And that's their opportunity to say, well, no, actually, it's this, this or this. Again, that would translate to a board. Being mindful that groupthink is not what you want. You don't want consensus necessarily. That's certainly not the outcome. It is the outcome you're striving for, but not at the expense of open and civil debate. Mm-hmm. So then the next point is to ask the caller, all right, what is some of the ethical influence, you know, from an ethics perspective, what are the contextual influences on this? So this might be looking at family or community, cultural expectations. It might be looking at religious or spiritual beliefs and how are they impacting how you feel if it's an organisational conversation about an organisational dilemma What are the are there codes in place? Are there are there regulations in place? Are there are there any precedents that have been set? I think that's the opportunity from a board perspective to sit and say, okay, what what is the organisation's purpose and values and principles, and all three are needed to make that ethical framework, so that you know there is a deep understanding of what that is, and and I don't think we can talk about that enough. Because ethics is very contextual and and things being fit for purpose is very much around reflecting on current days and current expectations and community expectations, particularly, and reputations and messaging and and all of that stuff that just changes all the time. Look at now, if you read, you know, like today, you know, News Corp is is now going to start programming material that recognises climate change which is quite a shift for them and that's Mm. very much around losing advertising dollars and reputation and it works in reverse so it's a really interesting dynamic so then once you've done that then you know you get a, a really strong picture of everything at play and then for me comes sort of the really exciting part which is where you put the philosophical lenses I suppose and being mindful not to speak in any kind of philosophical jargon too much because you don't want to scare people off this process because it's really valuable. And that's where you look at your duties and your obligations and your rights, and and then you might look at outcomes. So, you know, deontology, you know, and then uh, consequentialism. Uh, then then you might look at hang on. I just I just have to butt in there
0: because uh, I'm blissfully ignorant. What is deontology? Oh, it's very much about
1: duties, about your obligations. Ah, thank yes, you. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry, that's why I meant that's why I don't use those words. Ah, we don't no. want people thinking, what does that mean? We want them thinking, right, what are my duties? When you do speak to a call, it's amazing how many times you will ask something like that and it's not been thought about. And it really yes. opens up. Yes. It opens up a completely different perspective. I suppose, in a sense, you know, the process is about introducing different perspectives mm. so that the caller can just get outside that stuck mindset and mm. give them opportunities to think of new options. Not me. It's not my job. It's that, you know, I'm just there to help them do that. Yes. Um, and then you might look at, at virtue, so it's their character, and that's very much around, you know, if you were being the best person you could be, what would that, you know, what that look like? What is it that you really do value strongly? Of? What principles guide you? And, again, going back to the board, if you haven't done that work personally, and, I, I, you know, again, I'm far from one to, to moralise, but in my experience in speaking with senior leaders, it's those leaders that really Do that work to understand a purpose, but more importantly, your values. And that's what one considers good. Mm -hmm. You know, what does this organisation consider good? But that's not enough because good intentions are not enough to to reach your purpose. You've then got to understand what are your principles? What are the guiding behaviours that you're willing to undertake to achieve Mm -hmm. what is good? And again, if you go back to those different ways of thinking, if outcomes are important to you and that is your sole purpose and your outcome to what is good, if you're not monitoring the way you achieve that, Mm -hmm. that's where you start to bend rules, where you start to behave in ways that are unthinking potentially because you're focusing so strongly on what you know is good and Mm -hmm. the outcome that you want, which is. You know, this is how good people end up doing things they're not happy about. So you go through these lenses with these individuals and then you uh, care ethics as well. So very much around... Are relationships playing a strong role, and again, from a board perspective, there's that idea of have you been working with the supplier for years and years and years, so you have this really wonderful trusting relationship, so much so that you're not questioning who they're working with and what third parties they're dealing with and who they're transacting with, mm. and, and is that a blind spot? You know, it's sort of like that, and then, and then when you get to that point with the call, by that point, it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, and they've thrown options out because of you know, opening up ways of thinking and you're kind of jotting those down. We don't keep the notes. Once you get to the end of that, you're like, okay, so let's have a look at some of the options. This is what you've said. And you sort of can put those out. And then when they might say something, you know, I'm able to say, well, you did say that you value this. So how does that line with that option? And so you start to play around with it like that. And then, I think the most important part at that point is that if they feel if you're lucky enough or they're lucky enough to come to an actual solution, then it's like, great. But even if they can't come to a complete solution and they've got some options, then it's about, all right, how do we act on these? That's really important. So then there's ideas of do you need peer support? They may have a little homework to do around some policies they're unaware of or legal aspects they're, you know, they need to find out about. So they might go and say, yep, I'll do that homework. They come back and then say, okay, is there a plan B? If that's not going to work, should we sort of, you know, brainstorm that? And then the very final point I highly recommend that boards or anyone making decisions do is there's some tests that you can go through. The most easily accessible one is the sunlight test which is you know front of the AFR test or whatever you want to call that if your decision was on the front cover of the AFR or whatever would you be comfortable with this decision and I think the important part of this and I really feel strongly about this it's not would people who are reading it be comfortable with your decision Mm -hmm. it's would you be comfortable with your decision because you're Mm. the one that's going to have to be accountable for that. Yes. And if we monitor and adjust our decisions for the public, are we staying true to our ethical framework? Mm. I think that's where we can start to find ourselves where ethical fading can come into play and we start to find ourselves making decisions that aren't in line with what we said we were. And then when you start doing that as an organisation, I think then you start to risk lacking integrity. You start to risk losing Mm -hmm. your integrity. And Mm -hmm. and that's the point too. And I say, you know, to callers often the point is when you come to this decision, not everyone's going to like it. And at the ethics centres, you know, we'll get, well, that's unethical. And if you can say, actually, it's not. We've told you who we are. We've told yes. you our, what we value and, and how we're going to achieve our purpose, and this is mm. very much in line. And that's, again, going back to Alan Joyce. We've told you that safety is our number one priority. Vaccinations are in line with that number one priority. And mm. now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but we haven't pulled this out of nowhere. We, this mm. has been our value all along. Yeah. So you go through those tests at the end with a caller. The, another test might be: Could this be a universal rule? So you've made this decision in this situation. If this decision, and again, this is good for for boards. If if this decision were to be done in a different jurisdiction, would it still apply? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't apply in that jurisdiction, then you question yourself why. And if it's a cultural reason, and and that's understandable then that potentially would justify. But if it's not a cultural reason and it's something different, then maybe you have to go back to the drawing board again a bit, you know. So that's a really interesting test. So that's the process. And then at the end of the hour.
0: Oh, my God, you do all of that in an hour. That is incredible. Sorry, go on.
1: (laughs) That's the hardest part half the time. You know, the objectivity, sometimes you want to jump in and go, oh, you should. And you go, don't, 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 you know, really being able to say to yourself, no judgment, no judgment. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other thing is having to say to them, okay, I've got to move on now because I really want you to get through this whole process. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've got, I've gone on now.
0: Oh no, I love it. And so what I love in there, that there was, you know, the, the steps in there, A, it makes it clearer for me how it all works, but What was also interesting in there as you were talking it through is I was reflecting on those steps could easily be part of the process that a board collectively also goes through in considering an issue. You know, consider the situation. What are the facts? Challenge assumptions. Who else is involved? Even that reflective process, reflecting back that we're all on the same page, sometimes that happens but it doesn't always and it's really useful in a group for that to happen you know, thinking about the different influences and context, different perspectives, the test, all of those things I think are really useful because often I think what happens is, and presumably it's the same with individuals, they leap straight to options and then become overwhelmed with what to do because we haven't done those exploratory phases to
1: help inform what the right options are. Yes, and I think you know, like your comments said, wow, you do all of that in an hour. I think that's the, the well, it's true. It's true. You have to make time for these conversations. Yeah. I think it's really important.
0: Yes. Yeah. In the context of a board meeting, for example, or in the context of a, even a strategy day or a board conversation, actually an hour is not that much. And being able to have that time to really, You know, these are presumably the the questions and the challenges and the dilemmas that come to you are the things that are, as you said earlier, keeping people awake at night and making them feel sick. And ours, nothing really to help sort those sorts of challenges out. In fact, it's magic that it can to help to sort those things out. For you, for ethical, it's individuals. And often individuals will be feeling sick about this or, you know, staying awake at night. But more broadly, how can we encourage an ethical lens in the boardroom. It's not always an overt thing that is considered and it should be. So how can we encourage that in the boardroom collectively that ethics is front of mind?
1: Well, I think discussion around what is the ethical framework that the organisation has developed and and if Mm. they haven't, that's worthy of discussion and time. So that's your purpose and your values and your principles. Mm. I think that that's um, really, really vital And recognising that essentially ethics is choice. Mm. Ethics is is a doing word and it is about decisions and it is about choices. So being mindful that when a decision has to be made, you're doing ethics Mm. and consideration and reflection needs to be a part of that process. I think that's important. I mean, it, there are artefacts that can be developed around ethics, which I think are, are good things to do that keep it front in mind.
0: Chris, this has been such a fabulous conversation. We haven't touched on the Ethics Alliance or the Banking and Finance Oath, but I think we're just going to have to come back for a conversation another day about that because this has been gold. So what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today?
1: Well, hell yeah, I would say that Using Ethical, and you can access that at the Ethics Centre website, ethics.org.au, one-hour free conversation. Using Ethical does many things. It's a, a process that helps you understand the values that drive your behaviour in a certain mm. situation. It alleviates conscious but potentially subconscious pain or thoughts or or baggage you know that's not a great word that can impact your choices and your decisions in other parts of your life and every decision we make informs our, our next one so clarity around how and why we're making decisions i think is a really important thing to have and to relieve suffering for anybody that's having difficulty in a decision save that hour it's 7:30 till 9:30 at night Mm -hmm. it's monday to saturday it's like a, a really good hour
0: oh my god it is incredible um i was going to ask you for a resource uh for the take on board community but i think we know what that is it is the the ethical service itself and you'd said the website before i will also make sure there is a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily
1: Can I add one more resource that I think would be really helpful for board members? If you go to the Ethics Centre's website, there's a resource that we have called Ethics in the Boardroom. It's a paper that we did with AICD Mm. and um, it's a really, really useful resource around a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today.
0: Fantastic. You most definitely can add that to the list. And again, I will put a link to that specific resource in the show notes so people can easily find it because I think that would be fabulous. Chris, thank you. Thank you for taking the call when I just got in touch cold with the organisation and said, oh, I would love to have a conversation about this. You might need to put on additional counsellors, I'm guessing, because I'm guessing as people now know that the service exists, you might get a few more calls from board members. And, folks, I really encourage you to do so. There, uh, The boardroom is all about those decisions that keep us awake at night. It is all about, you know, difficult decisions. So having this service as a place to, um, to share that and have somebody walk beside you as you try to wrestle with that, I think is incredibly valuable. So thank you for explaining it to us today. Thank you for the service that you run um, and for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today.
1: Thank you, Helia. Thanks so much for having
0: me. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.